Hello and welcome to another episode of the Cyberwork with InfoSec podcast. Each week, I sit down with a different industry thought leader to discuss the latest cybersecurity trends and how these trends are affecting the work of InfoSec professionals, as well as tips for those trying to break in or move up the ladder in the cybersecurity industry. Our guest today, John Torres, is the president of Guidepost Solutions Security and Technology Consulting Practice. He works on matters related to risk mitigation, anti-money laundering, security assessments, due diligence, investigations, crisis management planning, cross-border security, event security management, federal counseling, and government compliance. Prior to joining Guidepost Solutions, he served as the special agent in charge for Homeland Security, the second largest investigative agency in the federal government, and prior to that as acting director for the U.S. Immigrations and Customs Enforcement. He is frequently asked to comment on data security breaches and compliance issues, which is one of the many things we want to uh, discuss with him today. So, John, thank you for your time. My pleasure. How are you today? I'm good, thanks. Uh, yeah, lovely day. So, uh, uh, how far back uh, to start, you know, start things off? How far back does your interest in computers and tech and security go? Was that something you were always interested in, to, or is that something that came later in life? Actually, I found myself early in my career when I was a young federal agent in Los Angeles, mm-hmm. um, tr- trying to find ways to obtain better evidence, more credible evidence. So, early in my career, I worked a lot of cases in Los Angeles that were related to counterfeiting, smuggling, mm. trafficking, uh, you name it. But, but many of those investigations, many of those were undercover also. They, they relied heavily on eyewitness testimony, material witness testimony, and of course some physical evidence. But depending on the type of case it was, for example, it was human trafficking, you really, you know, the, the evidence were, were the people. Right. And so those cases can be very frustrating to prosecute because – People's memories fade over time, or you know the recollection is not that good, or, or you know their credibility can be challenged in court. Mm-hmm. And so those, sometimes those cases were a nightmare to prove in court. And so I found myself working with a with a team of agents saying, "How can we get better evidence?" And we really started to focus in on technology back mm-hmm. then, computer evidence, different types of camera, you know, surreptitious uh, recordings, whether were, they were audio or video. And really, at that point, when you could bring those cases to the U.S. Attorney's Office to prosecute, what you're looking at is the video of the crime taking place or an audio recording of a, of a, of a suspect trying to make a deal. And, and then you can incorporate that with fingerprints or, or follow the financial trail. And you end up having a, a pretty locked down case that usually did not end up going to trial. And so very early in my career, I was always looking at technology to see how we could move things along further. And in fact, at one point, I was asked to stand up what's called the Law Enforcement Support Center, which today is really the nerve center for Homeland Security with all law law enforcement agencies across the country. And at the time we started it, it was a small little pilot program in Burlington, Vermont, Mm -hmm. with about eight people. Today, it's a 60,000 square foot office that has hundreds of people working in it 24 hours a day. And all law enforcement agencies can connect to uh, DHS through, through that center now. Wow. Um, was, was your, so it sounds like you were kind of spearheading the, the, the increase in use of like technology for, you know, information data collecting. Was this met with resistance from your supervisors or did they understand the importance of it pretty much right away? Well, that's funny you bring that up. My original supervisor, uh, when I said I wanted to use more technology, um, 
at, at the very early stage of my career, he says, now this is how we do it. We, we've always done yeah. things this way. Just go out there and make the case. And I remember one time we, we, were, we worked a case for about a month, did a number of undercover deals, long surveillance hours overnight. And then ultimately, um, because we didn't have all this technology, we weren't allowed to use it at the time. Um, when we went to do the search warrants, they had moved out in the middle of the night and we ended up with nothing. Wow. And at that point, I sat there in my boss's office. He says, you know what? Let's try it your way next time and see how this goes. <laughs> and it really changed everything in that office. Going yeah. Forward. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes, uh, uh, you know, uh, all right, it's, it's time to go with plan B. And then turns out plan B turns on into plan A. So yeah, we kind of had to learn the hard way on that one. Yeah. Um, so while you've clearly had numerous jobs and responsibilities and, you know, worn a lot of hats over the years, the, uh, the area of your expertise that we're specifically interested in today at the Cyborg Podcast is your work preventing and repairing damage caused by security breaches. So I thought we could start there if possible. Uh, what are some specific cases, issues, or attack vectors that you and Guidepost have been focusing on lately with regard to security breach? Well, I can tell you some of the industries that uh, have been calling quite frequently for us is the, okay. uh, the education sector. Really, we get a lot of schools and universities calling not just for cyber breaches and cybersecurity, for all things security, security design work, you know, training for active shooter, it has really been something um, that has been at the forefront of of our mission and, and our, our services that we provide to clients probably for the past two years now. Okay. And it, it seems like uh, I, I read a statistic most recently um, that said there have been over 650 shootings in schools since September. That's basically 650 shootings this past school year. Mm-hmm. And every time we start to work on one for another university, you see something in the news, you know, it seems like every week. And you know, so last month's shootings are old news already. Mm-hmm. And so we're seeing a lot in the education sector, a lot in the healthcare sector. Um, mm-hmm. We see some disgruntled patients that, uh, you know, may be violent towards doctors where they feel they, they, they uh, received poor health care or, or poor health care for a loved one. Um, and then, you know, you have the HIPAA issues trying to protect the, the client information and with the electronic records of, of the doctors that you're using now. Um, it's very convenient to go online, see all your medical records and access them almost in real time. But that comes with a, a lot of security issues, as you can imagine, because that's very sensitive information that the yeah. Someone's cloud somewhere, and then of course we're doing a lot. We still do a lot of work in the financial sector, mm-hmm. banks, financial industries, um, anti-money laundering, compliance. A lot of software. There's a lot of data as well as financial trans- transactions that take place on a daily basis. And, and we're seeing a lot more now in the sports and entertainment industry, um, whether it's through uh, movie studios or or actual leagues or stadiums and arenas uh, that the. Uh, that want to have better protection because you're starting to see a lot more of the internet of things um, where historically things weren't as connected as they are today. Yes, for sure. Now, um, do you see any particular through lines between the different ways that security is being breached, especially uh, sort of online and electronically uh, between these industries? Are, are people using sort of the same techniques to get into healthcare that they're, they're, they are to get into finance sectors and so forth? Sure. Um, you know, we see a lot of phishing, obviously, mm-hmm. um, but but you see a, a lot of the similar techniques where they just try to get people to, to click on something they shouldn't, to be quite frank. Yeah. Um, 
And, and you know, unfortunately, in, with the healthcare industry, um, you see a lot of it in Florida where you have many retired people. Um, mm -hmm. They're more susceptible to clicking on a link because they're not, you know, it's a, it's a generational thing about yep. being taught and using computers and, and emails and what to click on and what not to. Mm -hmm. It's very easy for them to think, well, this is coming from my doctor. I should just click on this link and, and there goes all their information. Yeah. Now, uh, with regard to specifically healthcare, and I guess also with um, schools and so forth, you you sort of um, combined security breaches with regards to electronic breaches, i.e., theft of data, with also actual you know perimeter breaches, you know, active shooters and so forth. Is that are those combinations? Uh, a, a common sort of caseload for you, and and how do you sort of combine uh, electronic safety with physical safety? Um, so initially, they were not. Um, we okay. A lot of requests to just come in and do training, for example, mm -hmm. or do security design work, change the layout of how someone, when, when someone enters a lobby, um, what they can actually gain access to. Okay make stronger doors so people yep. can get into the school or, or doctor's office. Uh, but that's, that then transitioned over to, can you come in here and do a full assessment? Because really, if we went in and did the training uh, and we did it for a number of employees, for example, if it was teachers or bankers or, or, or lawyers, you had executive training versus rank and file training. Okay. And, and more times than not, the rank and file, the, the, the average employee would say, hey, this is all great that you're teaching us how to respond in an active shooter situation, but what is the company doing for everything else? How are they making us safer? Because someone could just walk in the front door. It's always open, and there's no locks. There's no cameras. Right. And so we found a, a number of clients that can you come in and do an assessment and look at everything, including potential cyber breaches. And, and so what we end up doing now is more of a comprehensive look sort of a security master plan hmm. um, to address all things. Um, and, and then we can then phase it for them and say, here's a menu of options and you could build it out over a time frame based on what they think, uh, you know, is the highest risk that's in front of them today. Okay. So that, that seems like that's kind of the way of the future here that, you, you know, we're, we're, we're thinking in terms of not just electronic, but, you know, sort of a comprehensive plan for every aspect of your, your organization. Right, right. Yeah. Now, uh, as, as mentioned at the top of the show, the, uh, you know, we're talking about a lot of different things today, but the focus of cyber work is to talk about uh, careers in the cybersecurity industry. So I was hoping you could tell me a little bit about the career path you took to become a security consultant the way you are. What are some of the intermediate steps along the way in terms of uh, important skills you needed to learn, titles you needed to earn, information absorbed that got you into this position in your career? Yeah, that's actually a very good question. And one of the things I tell, especially college students or, or young professionals, mm -hmm. please learn how to write. It's yes. critical in any profession, to be quite frank with you, you know, whether you were starting out as a federal agent, as I did, and worked a number of different types of investigations or security uh, events um, during, throughout my career. And so quite, quite frankly, that was able to translate into a, a, a career for me in security. Um, but, you know, I always start with saying, you got to learn how to write. If you can write, there's a lot of re report writing in our world, whether you're presenting a prosecution report to a, a U.S. attorney's office or in our world today, doing a security assessment, putting a report together for a client. Uh, they pay a lot of money. 
and they expect a certain level of professionalism and, you know, yep. they don't want to see something scribbled together on, on half a page here. Right. Uh, that's part one. But part two is there's, there's a lot of training people can do and, and a lot of certifications that they can get. And so in our world at Guidepost Solutions, for example, we have a number of security specialists that have backgrounds in engineering and architecture for, or, or, or IT in, mm-hmm. uh, security, for example. And, and that's because we do a lot of security design work as opposed to, you know, the boots on the ground that you hear about with, with the guards in, in uniform standing post, for example. Um, we'll, we'll go in and, and design security systems for an NFL stadium or NBA arena or university or high rise, you know, like uh, what used to be called the Sears Tower, yep. uh, for example. <laughs> now, Willis Tower. corner from my office here. <laughs> right. right. Yeah. So today it's Willis Tower. Yep. Um, we have a lot of design specialists and they have all kinds of certifications from, you know, a, certifi- uh, a certified protection specialist um, or even, you know, a certified cloud security professional. Um, uh, we even have some people that are, that are LEED, Leadership and Energy and Efficiency Design, okay. uh, or Payment Card Industry, PCI Specialists, or, or Computer Security Incident Response Teams. Um, all of those um, are, are a, a service that we can provide that are critical to many of our clients because they really want to incorporate all those different facets of, of security um, when they're looking at what the risks are for their company or for themselves. Okay. Um, I, I think, you know, possibly people who are not currently working in cybersecurity but are interested in transitioning toward it, probably their ears perked up a little when you said that you have, you know, IT people and architects and so forth. So when you were hiring people who have these non, you know, uh, I wouldn't say non-traditional, but you know, you, you don't, you wouldn't maybe pull them first out of the resume pile. Like what was it that you saw in your, you know, people who had it and, you know, security architect background or, you know, it architect background that you thought would make them capable of doing this job? Were there certain things that they needed to show or were you able to sort of like transition them more towards a security uh, framework? So so there's been two parts to that. And, you know, uh, the best of both worlds, People will have both of these, mm-hmm. but we have some people that can do great design work. They'll mm-hmm. pull out the, the specs. Um, they can do it uh, um, through some of the net, some of the software that's available now. You know, we basically have services um, that manage services division out of our Dallas office, um, and, and also a support division that will sit there and do a lot of that design for all of our offices. Um, but that doesn't necessarily translate into being able to communicate with people very well. Yep. And, and so we have some people that are great communicators slash salespeople, um, but they don't have the technical background. And in our world, what we see is people that can do both, that have a technical background, that can actually do the physical security assessments or the, uh, the, the computer um, IT type of assessment for uh, you know, the, the architecture of the system. And then also be able to get in a boardroom or C-suite and communicate that to the clients very efficiently. Um, Mm -hmm. That's not always the case. That doesn't necessarily mean we still don't want to hire you because we still need people that can actually do that. You know, they can work in their office or sit in a cubicle and and, and really roll up their sleeves and get that work done. Um, But the people that are succeeding the most in our company are the people who can do both. 
Okay. Um, so can you sort of walk me through your average day at Guidepost? What are some jobs, tasks, responsibilities that are constant on most days? Like what time do you get into work? What do you start with? You know, where, where, sure. where's the coffee come in? The one thing that's that I like about my job is it varies every single day. Mm-hmm. I don't have the consistency. It's not a nine to five job. Okay. Uh, one of the things uh, people ask me about is, uh, do you have to go in office every day? So no, not necessarily. In fact, I travel a lot. Um, we have offices around the globe. And so I'm either traveling to meet with uh, our offices or clients, for example. And we have a number of clients uh, across the country and globally as well. Um, so when I'm not traveling, if I am in the office, for example, I'll try to get in uh, real early before traffic or I'll wait and let it die down a little bit for the commute purposes and get in a little later. Um, but then I end up being... You know, my daughter asked me this the other day. What do you do, Dad? I said, besides talk on the phone and sit in meetings all day. And she looked at me and said, that sounds kind of boring. And and so I had to explain it to her a little more um, and talk about how we try to solve people's problems. And so my typical day is responding to client needs, client emergencies, which happen more often than not taking calls at two o'clock in the morning from our office in Singapore or, uh, or early in the morning from our UK office offices. And, and, and now we've just expanded into Latin America, South America, and I'll be heading down to uh, Columbia here in another couple of weeks. So um, there's a lot going on. Um, and, and I'm usually out of the office uh, working with clients or, or meeting with the, you know, employees from our different offices. Okay. Um, what is the most challenging, if you can think of it, most challenging cybersecurity breach or case you ever worked on? And, and what did you do to turn it into a successful outcome? Yeah, that's, uh, well, there's been a number of them, but I'll mention one here that we did uh, a couple of years ago um, that involved a financial institution um, where um, an executive at that financial institution received a package in the mail that had a number of customer uh, data sheets, basically, uh, you know, the, the personal data and financial data of a number of the, of the financial institutions clients Okay, it was sent to them, including the data of himself and his, you know, a, a close relative of his. And they said, here's an example of the data that's being breached from your institution. And here's the name of the person that is stealing it from you and selling it out on the open market. So he immediately called the FBI, FBI came in, took a look at it and said, this doesn't really rise to a level of a federal investigation. You'll have to handle this yourself as part of an internal investigation. Hmm. And so they turned around and hired us. They asked us to come in on a, on a holiday weekend when the bank was closed and go through as much of the background data as we could. Um, and, and so we brought in our, you know, our IT and cyber professionals. We did a cyber forensic investigation as well as interview witnesses that were listed on this letter and ultimately what we found out is that that person who had been temporarily suspended pending the investigation was not involved at all she was being falsely accused by another employee who was jealous of her promotion (laughs) wow really what ultimately um allowed this person to get access to all this information is this financial institution did not really have the good checks and com- uh, and balances in place they weren't using technology like cameras they weren't using notification systems with their software mm-hmm. so basically anyone any employee could access anyone's information and, and not leave a trail or it wouldn't trigger any alerts 
And, and on top of that, they could then go copy all that information on their copiers, and there was no cameras in common places so they could see what was going on after hours. Um, they didn't have any access control monitor monitoring so you could see who was coming in and out at odd hours. So there were a number of things that they had to improve ultimately. Um, and, and so what made it successful is really having, having our our computer forensic people go through and go through the digital trail. And, and we were able to determine the only pe- the only three people had accessed the majority of those records. Um, and two of them were able to rule out as being involved. And that really left with the one person um, that uh, ultimately the bank had to let go. So that's another example of, of like you said, you, you, you're not just working with either just the technical side of, security compliance but also the physical side like you were putting you're suggesting cameras and locks and so forth right right exactly and you know and and different types of compliance control issues policies Mm -hmm. that needed to be followed and so they're in a much better place today that couldn't happen again Um, but you know similar with many clients they they don't think it's ever going to happen to them until it does and then it ends up costing them a lot more money to get it yeah then they have to call guidepost. Um, uh, so you already mentioned uh, specifically 2 a.m., but my next question was about um, what are, if any, are some downsides to the kind of work you do? You know, since your job is kind of a dream job for a lot of security folks, what are some of the, as I put it, it's 2 a.m. and I'm still up dealing with this nonsense aspect of the work that they should know about as well? Yeah, I do get a lot of that, um, um, but that comes with the territory. So that's to be expected somewhat. Um, it doesn't happen as often as it did as when I was in the federal government, it happened at least once or twice a night back then. Um, Some of the issues I see is you can get some very demanding clients with unrealistic expectations. Okay. You know, we've had some clients that for the amount of money that some of them pay, um, they just assume what I'm paying you, this should be fixed tomorrow. Right. Uh, Or, or you get clients that they really don't want to spend the money on security or compliance until they have to. And then of course, by then it's too late and it becomes a, you can pay me now or you can pay me a much higher premium later because we're going to have to drop everything and, and scramble an entire team as opposed yep. to one or two people up front that could put together, you know, a comprehensive security plan for you. So that, that can be frustrating, but I understand it. Um, you know, uh, security and compliance does not generate revenue for, for many companies. Um, yeah. it, it's a cost. And so they, they try to, you know, keep their costs down as much as they can. Mm-hmm. Um, so while it's impossible to know everything about cybersecurity and also still do your day-to-day responsibilities, your clients obviously depend on you for this. Uh, you know, they need you to be able to assess risk and advice and advise and mitigation often on challenges that are evolving minute by minute. So how do you address this challenge? You, obviously, I'm assuming you have sort of advisors and who are keeping up to date with all the security, you know, changes minute by minute um like what is your i guess what does your your team look like in that regard we do have teams that, that are continually taking training and going through uh, the most recent uh uh generations of, of software and technical equipment so we can stay on top of that um really what i see is you know how do you address that evolving challenge one of the best ways to do that do that is by having a, a security master plan as okay. a trying to put band-aids on different types of areas you know we had one client recently approach us and say they wanted to build a smart center not just an operations center not a security center not a global security operations center but a smart center Mm -hmm. that is really going to control everything for them Mm -hmm. Uh, 
that uh, you know it can turn on t- turn on and off the lights it could unlock doors it could handle uh, the the thermostat temperature in, in different buildings and so really you end up saving money that over the long term it could pay for itself but really the genesis of it is is security and so while some companies don't want to invest that kind of money and we understand it we also provide solutions where people can do managed services and we can basically chase the sun for them, you know, depending on where they have their offices, whether it's here, West Coast, India, Asia, um, and we'll, we'll work it overnight for them out of our operations center, um, similar to, to a help, help, help desk that's located somewhere. Um, and what we do is put protocols in place that say if this event happens or this alarm goes off, how do you want us to respond? Do you want us to call a particular person? Do you want us to just call um, the security company on the ground? And, and, and so really it, it becomes a much more efficient process. So you stay on top of the trends and things that are happening in real time. Hmm. Uh, so from a security and technology standpoint, what's the most important yet overlooked thing that you think that enterprises don't do to protect their data? Are there any examples of strategies that used to be a problem Conversely, that uh, most companies seem to have figured out by now. So I guess that's sort of two questions there. Like, what's the thing that you wish more companies were systematically doing? And then are there any things that people are starting to systematically do that's reducing certain types of breaches? Yeah, a lot, we're doing a lot more data center security design, which okay. goes in, in hand in hand with cloud data protection. Um, that people need that they're getting much better. You know, I. I as, he, as recently as two or three years ago, people were saying, what's, what's the cloud? What are you talking about? Yeah, yeah. And today, they're being very aggressive and protecting a lot of data. And out here in uh, Northern Virginia, where I live, there, there's data centers popping up left and right that uh, are going in with the state-of-the-art state design protections that uh, didn't exist a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the things I see them, they, the, the companies are figuring that out. They're also figuring out the, the simple things like uh, complex password policies that didn't exist that, you know, they're kind of a pain to all of us that are, that are the users. I have to change my password again. It's only been 90 days and yeah. use the last eight that I use and it's got to include all, you know, 15 characters and right. et cetera. But they're getting better at that and, and added into factor authentic, authentication also. So mm-hmm. um, those are some of the things I think that have really progressed very well. In the last few years, and quite frankly, they've had to because uh, those were the where the majority of the breaches were coming through. Hmm. Um, so, going back again to job-related things, um, for someone who is say feeling stuck in a lower-level security job, like at a help desk or some other place where they don't feel like they can break out of, what are some things that they can take on today? Whether reading up on a new skill, signing for a course, that could move them in the direction of a career as a security consultant. Sure, signing up for a new course, um, getting certified in many of those areas we mentioned earlier mm-hmm. are very helpful, as well as learning how to do uh, security assessments and audits. Um, okay. Board at a help center or a help desk, this will get them out of the office. Um, they'll be uh, on site with clients. That comes mm-hmm. with its own issues, as you can imagine, too. Um, we, we recently did. Uh, um, some on-site assessments for a hospital in Milwaukee um, a couple of months ago in the middle of the polar vortex. So we had a couple teams out there doing the parking garage and having to walk around the hospital. And they said it's as cold as they've ever been. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
but you know what? They weren't stuck in the office. And so <laughs> they, you know, it, 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 it kind of helps them to get their foot in the door when they can do that, because we have, it's really like the first step for all the rest of the security we can do is people want to start with an assessment. Can you come in here and do an assessment? And so even if they have their own security team that does assessments, I'm mm-hmm. talking about corporations or sports teams, for example, we'll still get hired by maybe the CEO or, or by the team owner and say, can you come in here and do a peer review? I want to make sure that we're, I'm, you know, I'm getting what I'm supposed to be getting and they'll ask us to do an independent outside assessment. So it starts with the assessment and then we can make recommendations, uh, you know, based on their budget as to what changes they, they might need to make. Okay. You mentioned certifications real briefly. Are there, what are, what are the particular certifications that you like to see on a resume or that, that indicate that they, you know, this person has the background that I'm looking for? Sure. The, uh, the certified uh, security professional is usually, you know, the, the basic uh, accreditation or certification. And then depending on um, specifically what we're looking for in the computer industry, you know, the computer security incident response team, the C-cert is, is very good, mm-hmm. as well as the certified information security uh, a system security professional, the CISSP, mm-hmm. and the CCSP, the Certified Cloud Security Professional, those are all pretty much key to, to resolving a lot of the problems we have. It, it demonstrates that they've been able to to grasp and learn this information in this industry. And, of course, that that's their, your basic building blocks, the foundation, if you will, for them to then come in at, at guideposts and, and learn even more uh, from, you know, mentors or some of the other professionals we have on the ground already. So as we wrap things up today, within your area, uh, specifically within cybersecurity, what are some of the security challenges that you see on the horizon for 2019, 2020 and beyond? A couple of things. The, the Internet of Things. Um, okay. As I, was, I was driving in this morning, you know, there's Wi-Fi in my truck. And, <laughs> you know, there's Wi-Fi in airplanes. There's you know, Wi-Fi in everyone's houses, including controlling your refrigerator, your television, uh, your thermostat, your electricity. Um, And it really comes down to how well protected are you? What kind of password do you set on those things? Um, You know, we we saw the the incident where someone went on the plane and hacked into the systems of the plane. Yeah. He could do it. He wasn't going to do anything nefarious or bad, but still, to, to show that someone can get on an airplane, get on their Wi-Fi, and then hack the system, wow. that's a huge problem, as you can imagine. So I see that as being a significant challenge in the years coming up, as well as the ransomware. We still con- con- continue to see uh, people being subjected to ransomware where their entire system gets locked down, and they they got to pay a lot of money to get yeah. back into it. So. We've had a few guests talk about ransomware. Um, what are your particular strategies in terms of you know, someone calls you about ransomware. Do you advocate for paying the fee? Do you advocate for trying to unlock it? Do you have, you know, do you have sort of a, a set policy or does it vary from case to case? It does vary from case to case. I was actually just going to say that um, we have to look at the totality of circumstances and uh, the type of breach as well as what type of data, um, you know, the client needs to get access to um, mm-hmm. and how critical is it? You know, is it a hospital uh, where, where, machines are going to get turned off and people are going to die. Um, so you, you take a look at the totality of circumstances. I mean, to the extent that you think you might be able to, to, to break that great, but uh, in some instances, 
time is of the essence as well as the, the potential risk for, for life. And uh, in some instances, we've had to pay it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, okay, again, wrapping up, if uh, people want to know more info about you, John Torres, or Guidepost Security, where can they go online? Uh, best place is our, our website, guidepostsolutions.com, or they can follow us on our Guidepost Solutions Twitter and LinkedIn account. So those are the easiest ways to get more information. And okay, and, that, and that's that's at Guidepost Solutions? Right. Or they can uh, reach out to us you know, directly through the website and ha- happy to talk with them. Great. Uh, John, thank you so much for joining me today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. And thank you all for listening and watching. If you enjoyed today's video, you can find many more on our YouTube page. Just go to YouTube and type in Cyberwork with InfoSec to check out our collection of tutorials, interviews, and past webinars. If you'd rather have us in your ears during your workday, all of our videos are also available as audio podcasts. Just sh- uh, search Cyberwork with InfoSec in your favorite podcast catcher. Uh, to see current promotional offers available for podcast listeners and to learn more about our InfoSec Pro Live Boot Camps, InfoSec Skills On Demand Training Library, and InfoSec IQ Security Awareness and Training Platform, go to infosecinstitute.com slash podcast or click the link in the description below. Thanks once again to John Torres and thank you all for watching and listening. We'll speak to you next week. <laughs>